You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Gospel of John, chapter 8. We're going to read together verses 42 through 47. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them, because you are not of God. Let's bow our heads. Our Father, if it were not for your word, we would not be able to know you savingly through your Son. We would have no knowledge of anything that is true regarding eternity. And so we thank you that you have revealed to us all that is true and all that is necessary for our life and for godliness in this book. We thank you for the words of the Lord Jesus, and may they inform our theology and our philosophy and the way we approach life and the way we approach ministry. Be glorified, we pray, through the preaching of your word, for we believe that when the word is rightly preached, that your voice is truly heard. And may we hear from you in this text of Scripture today, for your glory's sake, in Christ's name. Amen. Well, though my theology tells me that it shouldn't, I am oftentimes surprised by the fact that some people are willing to believe anything just so long as it is not the truth. Have you noticed that? Some people are willing to believe absolutely anything just so long as it is not the truth. I believe that those who belong to the devil, who are children of the devil, described in John 8:44, they are willing to believe anything just so long as it is not the truth. Let me give you some examples. I'll give you three of them. Number one, evolution. Is there any ever been a more benighted, more silly, more ridiculous theory than the theory of evolution? And yet you can talk to people who will believe the theory of evolution. They will believe against science and against rationale and against logic and against everything that we observe, that life came out of non-life. That one time something was dead and suddenly life appeared. And then that the life evolved and that the random collision of molecules and natural processes and time and chance created all of the order and diversity and splendor and design that we see around us. And all of this is the product of nothing but a big accident, a big explosion in the past. That is just absolute lunacy. You have to be benighted to believe the doctrine of evolution, or the, the theory of evolution. It is silly and goofy, and yet people are willing to believe that over the truth. They believe that matter is eternal, that chance is omnipotent, and that design comes by accident. But if you suggest to them that it's not matter that is eternal, but God who is eternal, that it is not chance which is omnipotent, but God which is omnipotent, and that it is not accident which creates design, but a designer creates design, you're, you're an unscientific, unilluminated rube. How stupid do you have to believe that design requires a designer? Right? Let me give you another example. False religions of any kind. People will believe polytheism. They'll believe in reincarnation. They will believe that they are some iteration of God. They will believe in any false prophet, any false teacher, any false light, on any false messiah on the face of the planet. People will follow them by the droves. False religions, people will follow them by the millions. 
People are prone to invent out of their own minds and out of their own hearts entire religious philosophies. And if you just pick your garden variety pagan off the street and begin to ask them about their religious convictions, you will find that their religious convictions resemble a plate taken from a buffet. They take a little bit of Christianity, a little bit of Hinduism, a little bit of Buddhism, a little bit of Baha'ism, and anything else, and they sort of put it all in the plate, mix it in with a little bit of self-help and some uh, and some I am a great person theology, and that's what they believe. But if you suggest to them that Scripture is true, that this which has been revealed by God sovereignly through inspiration is true, they will mock you, and they're skeptical. Well, that was just written by men. They won't question for a moment the theology that they create out of thin air from their own head, and you ask them, where does your theology come up? Where did you come up with your theology? I made it up myself. This is written by men, we shouldn't believe this. But my theology, created out of whole cloth, just out of thin air. People believe that. There was another example of uh, just how willing people are to believe anything, just so long as it's not the truth, anything, recently in the news. And you probably heard this story, but you probably only heard half of this story. Back in September, there was a supposed discovery of a manuscript fragment, a small business card-sized papyrus. And on this supposedly 4th century business card-sized papyrus was written the words, and there were other things on this, but this phrase is what stood out and caught everybody's media attention. Written on that small business card-sized papyrus were these words, Jesus said to them, my wife. That's it. Not the rest of the sentence, not the context, not the paragraph before it, the paragraph after it, whatever. Jesus said to them, my wife. So this was dubbed as the, G- the wife of Jesus, the, the, what was it? Uh, the gospel of the wife of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus' wife. That's what it was. The gospel of Jesus' wife. It came to light because a woman named Karen King, who was a professor and expert, and I use the term expert very loosely, an expert, there's no doubt in my mind she was a professor, but whether she was an expert or not is up for grabs because if she was an expert in Christian history, she never would have believed this nonsense to begin with. But Karen King, who was a professor and expert of Christian history at Harvard Divinity School, she's the one who sort of released this, and it caught media attention. And uh, every liberal, every agnostic, every atheist, everybody who ever had reason or want to doubt the New Testament, breathlessly embraced it. <sighs> Finally, we have a reason to doubt the New Testament. This is great news. We need documentaries. We need published works. We need magazine articles on this. It was all over the news. It was headlines on every major. I mean, Fox News had it on their site. Drudge Report had it on their site. Everybody published it. Why? Because it called into question the New Testament. That one little business card side fragment, the Gospel of Jesus' wife. So yeah, we have 5,600 Greek copies, fragments, papyrus of the New Testament. We have 9,300 Latin manuscripts translated within the first couple of centuries from original Greek documents. We have 10,000 other translations of the New Testament from other various languages and sources. All of that. We have 86,000 quotations of the New Testament documents from the early church fathers between the first century and the third century. And if we lost all of our Greek manuscripts and all of our Latin manuscripts and every other translation and manuscript fragment of the New Testament, and all we had to go by was the, was the quotations of the New Testament from the early church fathers, we would be able to reconstruct the New Testament just exactly as we have it today, all except for 11 verses, just from the quotations from the early church fathers. And what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to take all of that and push it all aside and doubt the legitimacy of the New Testament. Why? Because we found a business card-sized fragment from the 4th century where Jesus said to them, my wife. We have no context, nothing else. We're pushed aside all that we know. 
And we were told by those experts in the media that this was going to reinvent Christianity. We were going to have to find new interpretations of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John now. Why? Because we found a fragment that now has Jesus admitting that he has a wife from the 4th century. Those who belong to the prince of darkness will believe anything, just so long as it is not what? The truth. Looking for an excuse to reinvent Christianity, reinterpret everything. This was going to be finally the dagger in the heart of those who believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. That's probably what you saw in the headlines. Here's the rest of the story that you didn't see. Upon further examination, the little business card-sized fragment was found to be basically a copy of phrases from something called the Gospel of Thomas, a Coptic version of the Gospel of Thomas. Now here's the catch. That little business card-sized fragment had a typo in it. It is a typo or a mistake that only exists in an online digital copy of the Gospel of Thomas. In other words, it was forged, it was fabricated, and it was copied from a digital copy of the Gospel of Thomas that contains that typo. So that 4th century manuscript that was supposed to reinvent Christianity turns out it doesn't even predate Al Gore's invention of the Internet. Because that's where it was fabricated. Did you see that in the news? You didn't see that in the news, did you? You didn't see all the headlines that came out and said, hey, we're sorry. We really messed up. You can trust the New Testament after all. Did you see that? You didn't see it. I was in a discussion with somebody through Facebook, a little private discussion that we were having. It wasn't on my wall so that everybody could see it, but a little private discussion. He brought this up that we can't trust the New Testament documents because you get all this stuff. You know, these these hidden documents, these fra- fra- fragments and manuscripts from all over the place, dating later, which contradict Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So I fired him back with a little online uh, article from the New York, I think it was the New York Post, that revealed that it was nothing but a, fa- a fabrication and a fraud. Those who want to believe lies will believe anything, anything, absolutely anything, just so long as it is not the truth. John 8:44 and following describes for us the reason why this is true. The reason why it is true is because those who believe a lie belong to the father of lies and they love lies and they love darkness and just so long as it is not the truth, they will embrace it uncritically. But give them the truth and they will reject it. John 8.44. We're going to actually be looking at verses 45 and 47 because we covered John 8.44 last week. Jesus said, you are of your father the devil, verse 44, and the desires of your father you want to do. And we saw last week that in order to be a child of Satan, you don't have to swear allegiance. You don't have to belong to him by adoption. You don't have to even acknowledge that he exists. Everybody born into this world who is an unbeliever, and that's everybody born into this world, is born as a child of Satan. We are his children by birth because we share at the moment of our birth a common hostility with Satan, a common hostility against the truth, an animosity for the truth, and a love for darkness and a love for lies. We have the same desires that Satan has as unbelievers. And those desires have to be changed. So you're of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks out of his own nature. He fabricates lies. He originates lies. He doesn't get lies from other places. He doesn't borrow lies from other sources. He speaks and it is a lie. And there's no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks out of his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now that describes not just the Jews that Jesus was speaking to in John chapter 8. That describes all people born into this, relig- into this world. False religions are the doctrines of demons. And those who promote them are demonic teachers who promote demonic doctrines. doesn't matter how close they are to Orthodox Christianity. Those who are not in the faith, who have not repented and placed their faith in Jesus Christ, who have no light or life in themselves, have no truth in themselves. 
And when they come up with a false religion, be it Baha'ism or, or Islam or Mormonism or any other false doctrine or false religion, the source is always the same, the father of lies. Every false religion is the promotion of demonic doctrines intended to deceive and damn people who will listen to them. All of them are. There is no exception. The only exception is the truth, and that is Christianity. That's John 8:44. Now, in verses 45 through 47, Jesus completes the thought that he began in verse 44, and he describes them further as those who are unwilling and unable to hear the truth. And the reason they are unwilling and unable to hear the truth is because of what he says in verse 44. You're of your father the devil. He's the father of lies. So anybody who is willing to believe anything but the truth is doing exactly what Satan wants them to do. And that is to reject the truth and to believe in its place a lie. So verse 45. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them because you are not of God. Now look at verse 45. Because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Here's what's interesting about these words. It wasn't that long ago in this passage, back in verses 30 and 31, where Jesus or John described the people to whom Jesus was speaking to as those who had believed him. Look at verse 30. He spoke these things. Many came to believe in him. And Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, and the rest of this discourse is to those who had believed him. And now Jesus says in verse 45, because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. So is Jesus and John contradicting each other? John says they were believers. Jesus says they were not believers. What do we have going on here? Is it a contradiction? It's not a contradiction. Did they have salvation in verse 30, but then lose it by the time we get to verse 45? Like a light turning on and off? wasn't that at all, was it? As we've seen in the Gospel of John, Jesus, John is using the term belief in two different ways. There are two types of belief. There is a belief that does not save. That is mental assent, human apprehension of the facts, and consent to the facts. But then there is a belief that reaches out and embraces that and says, I want that as my own, and takes it to himself. That's the eating and drinking his blood, flesh and blood type faith that Jesus describes in John chapter 6. There are two types of faith. They were believing in the mental ascent way in verses 30 and 31, but then Jesus is showing them that that belief did not actually save them because they did not truly believe him so as to be saved. They were still sons of darkness. They were still slaves of sin. They were still sons of their father, the devil, spiritually. They did not believe him. Now, why is it that they did not believe him? Jesus gives the reason. It's because I spoke the truth. Notice the contrast here between Jesus and the devil. Jesus in verse 45, the devil in verse 44. The devil is a liar. Jesus speaks the truth. The devil can only speak a lie. He can never speak the truth. He will utter the truth or he will use the truth, but only to deceive, only in a deceptive way, which makes the truth a lie. In other words, the devil will say that God exists, he will confess that and admit that, and then he will use that to promote false doctrine and false religions where people worship a false god. Satan will confess the truth just so long as he can use it as a lie. But Jesus, on the other hand, only speaks the truth and is only capable of speaking the truth. When the devil speaks out of his own nature, it is a lie, and every lie he tells comes right out of the inner part of his being. It is the same with Jesus. Jesus, speaking the truth, speaks the truth because it comes out of his own nature. He is by nature truth incarnate. So that all that he says and all that he does is truth, and it is true truth. It's reliable truth. But Satan, on the other hand, all lies. Now these Jews have had two options. You can't, you can't put two more polar opposites together, can you? The Satan and Jesus? There's no possible, no possible extremes can be more opposite than those two. Truth and lies, out of his own nature, truth, out of his own nature, lies. And so they have two choices, truth and lies. And what do they choose? Lies. They believe the lies over the truth. Why? 
Because those who belong to the father of lies will believe anything just so long as it is not the truth. Now look at the reason for their believing or not believing in him. Verse 45, because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Because I speak the truth. Now the implication is this. If Jesus had spoken a lie, what would they have done? He would have gobbled it up. They would have embraced it or taken it. But because he speaks the truth, they do not believe him. If he had uttered a lie, they would believe it. But because it was the truth, they would not believe it. And they would not believe it. Why? Because Jesus wasn't persuasive? Because it was the truth. Now get this down in your head and in your heart and in your mind and let this govern your understanding of all other elements of theology. And this is it. Unbelievers reject the truth because it is the truth. Unbelievers reject the truth because it is the truth. Unbelievers do not reject the truth because of how we package it. Unbelievers do not reject the truth because we don't speak it kindly or lovingly enough. Unbelievers do not reject the truth because of our facilities or the lighting or because we don't gussy it up enough with lights and flashbangs and whizbangs and music and drama and skits and mime and pantomime and puppets and everything else under the sun. Unbelievers don't reject the truth for any other reason than this. It's the truth. They reject the truth because it's the truth. It doesn't matter how you package it. It doesn't matter that you make it sound hip and relevant and catchy and that you put it in the right program. They reject the truth because it's the truth. wouldn't matter if you put people in rows or you put them all in a big circle. They reject the truth because it is the truth. For no other reason. Because I speak the truth, you reject it. If you had uttered a lie, they would have embraced it. Would you say that there's any other reason why they rejected the truth when Jesus gave it to them? Would you be willing to suggest that it was because Jesus wasn't persuasive enough? Because he didn't know how to package it in a way that they would embrace it or accept it? Because he doesn't understand the other side well enough. He doesn't need to enter into their world. Meet them where they're at. Experience their felt needs. Be more loving and be more kind. Jesus had done it. He was an utter failure in his ability to communicate. That's why they rejected the truth. No, none of that. They rejected the truth. Why? Because it was the truth. That's it. Give them a lie and they'll embrace it. Because it is the truth, they reject it. That is what Jesus said. What does it have to do with? They are unable to hear and to believe because they are unwilling to hear and to believe, because they are of their father, the devil, and he is the father of lies. And when he speaks a lie, it comes out of his own nature. And everybody who is of their father, the devil, loves lies, and they hate the truth. And they reject the truth, not because it is not packaged well enough. They reject the truth for one reason, and one reason only. It is the truth. It is the truth. And you can't get them to... Stop loving lies and love the truth simply by changing or altering the package of the truth as if your job is to overcome consumer resistance and to get them to buy your product. You can't do that. You'd have to alter it so that it's no longer the truth. And once you alter it, you no longer have the truth and they will embrace it. In evangelicalism, we think we package it well enough, people come flocking in. Nothing could be further from the truth. You change the truth to a lie and the goats come flocking in and they're happy until you give them the truth and then they will reject it. Why? Because it is the truth. Now look at verse 46. That's the reason for their rejection. Verse 45, it was because it was the truth. They rejected it. Verse 46, which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? There's two two questions there. And the first one is a bit curious. Which one of you convicts me of sin? Now how does that fit into what he's been saying all along? Which one of you convicts me of sin? Listen, every good preacher strives to anticipate the questions or objections that his audience will ask or have, and then in the course of preaching or teaching, to answer those objections as they would normally come up. 
Every good speaker tries to do that. That's exactly what Jesus is doing. Because here, by the time you get to the end of verse 45, here would be their natural objection. You're not speaking the truth. Right? You are a liar. They accused him back, these same people accused him back in chapter 7 of leading the people astray and being a false teacher. Now Jesus has said, because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. They would naturally have responded, maybe in their hearts, maybe in their minds, maybe they were uttering it audibly, you do not speak the truth. You are telling us a lie. You are claiming things that are not true. So Jesus asked them this question to get at the heart of the matter. Which one of you convicts me of sin? The word convicts there means to lay a charge against someone and then to prove it to be true. Now Jesus doesn't say which one of you accuses me of sin, but which one of you can accuse me of sin and then prove me to be a sinner. He didn't say which one of you accuses me of being a sinner because they accused him all the time, right? They accused him of being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. They accused him of being a wine-bibber. They accused him of breaking the Sabbath. They accused him of blasphemy. They accused him of doing miracles by the power of Beelzebub. They accused him of all sorts of things. But could they ever prove a charge? They could never prove a charge. I would imagine in my mind's eye that there was a long pause after this question. Which one of you can convict me? Prove that I am a sinner. Which one of you? Is that pause long enough? Did anybody ever, was anybody ever able to do that? Nobody was ever able to do that. They threw all kinds of accusations against him, but none of them ever stuck because he was not a sinner. And that was obvious to everybody. Which one of you convicts me of sin? Jesus sort of said the same thing to Annas the high priest during his trial. He says, if I've spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong. What have I said that's wrong? And if I've spoken rightly, then why do you strike me? Why do you hit me? They could never accuse, they could accuse him of sin, but they could never prove that he was a sinner. This is from the lips of the Lord Jesus. This is a, a statement or a confession of his own, what theologians call his impeccability, his sinlessness. He knew no sin. He had no sin. He did no sin. He was in all points tempted as we are, yet he was without sin. And this tells us that in the mind and the heart of the Lord Jesus, he was aware of no sin in himself. None. He could examine his own heart and he knew that he was morally pure and morally perfect and that he had done no sin. And he knew it well enough to know that everybody around there could not point to him and claim that he was a sinner. It is difficult It is difficult to imagine anybody in human history, any sane person in human history, because there are plenty of insane people who would make this claim, it is difficult to imagine any sane person in human history uttering something like this, other than Jesus Christ. Which one of you can convict me of sin? If I, if I were to give you the challenge, is there anybody here who can prove that Jim Osmond is a sinner? Hey, what was with the quick hand over there? Look, even my kids are turning state's evidence on me, wanting to raise their hand. Horrible. Is that real difficult? What type of a challenge is that? You say, Jim, you might as well challenge us to breathe. That is easy. But with Jesus, he could say, which one of you can convict me of sin? And he knew there is not a person there who could bring any evidence against him as a sinner. He was sinless and he knew it. And listen, if he was not sinless, then this is one of the most demonic lies ever spoken by anyone. He was insane. If he was not sinless, people will say Jesus is a good teacher, but he wasn't the sinless son of God. He was just a good moral teacher. And he sinned like the rest of us, but he was just a good moral teacher. Really, it, would you call somebody a good moral teacher who is unaware of any iniquity or fallenness in themselves whatsoever? Do you call that person a good moral teacher? Or do you call them a madman? you call them a madman? Which one of you can convict me of sin? Long pause. Now here's the second question. And the rationale and the reasoning here is unimpeachable. It's, it's solid. If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? Now those two questions go together. Which one of you can convict me of sin? I am sinless. If he is sinless, then it follows 
that all that he says, everything he says, is the truth. And he speaks nothing but the truth. That's the logical conclusion of it. If he is sinless, and they know that, and they do know it, then all that he has ever said is the truth. So now the second question. If I speak the truth, if what I'm saying is true, why do you not believe me? That's some good reasoning, isn't it? If I'm sinless, I speak the truth. And if I speak the truth, why do you reject it? What are they going to say? they got nothing to say. So Jesus answers his own question in verse 47. And this is the truth. This is the money quote. Well, every quote from Jesus is a money quote. That's wrong to say that. But this is really the driving force behind this whole accusation against these men. Verse 47. He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them, because you are not of God. He who is of God hears God. They have claimed to be children of Abraham. Prior to verse 44, you remember that? They claimed to be children of Abraham. They claimed that God was their father. They had only one father and it was God. They made all of these claims of their spiritual paternity. They really belonged to the true God of Abraham. That was their claim. And Jesus is now saying, if that were true, if you were of God, you would hear the words of God. Now verse 47 restates verse 44, but in a different way. In verse 44 it says, you're of your father the devil. In verse 47 he says, you're not of God. He's stating it positively in verse 44. He is stating it negatively in verse 47. You're of your father the devil. You're not of God. To be in one camp is to not be in the other. Nobody is a child of God, both God and the devil in the same way. They're not. You, you are either a child of the devil or you're a child of God. If you do not belong to God through repentance and faith and being born again into His kingdom by understanding who Jesus is and what He did for you, and you have not repented of your sin and trusted Christ and been regenerated, then you're a child of the devil. There's no middle ground. If you are not of God, then you belong to the devil. So he says the same thing in verse 47. He repeats it. If you were of God, you would hear the words of God. Look at verse 38. There was something that they did here. I speak the things which I have seen with my father, verse 38. Therefore you also do the things which you heard from your father. Remember back then he is alluding to the fact that the devil was their father. I speak the things which I've seen with my father. You do the things that you have heard from your father. They did hear somebody's words. Whose words was it? It was the devil's words. They heard the devil just fine. I would liken it to this. On a radio spectrum, AM, FM, pick your choice. On a radio spectrum, there are two ends of it, right? There's like 590 or 570 where it starts, and there's 1590 or 1510 or whatever where it ends on the other side of the spectrum. All of us are born into this world tuned to the radio station that is on the lower end of the spectrum at 590. And we hear exactly what the devil and the world are broadcasting. We pick it up just fine. We do the will of our Father. We get that station just fine. We are unable, because of the frequency that we are tuned into, in, tuned into, to hear or understand truth. Furthermore, we don't even want to change stations because we like the station at the lower end of the dial. But then something happens, and it's called regeneration, where God gives us a new heart, new affections, new desires, new eyes. He opens us to the truth. He enlightens our minds. He gives us a new spirit, puts his spirit within us, and in doing that, he instantly changes it from one end of the spectrum to the other end of the spectrum, and suddenly we go, ho, oh, oh, ho, there's a whole other station out there that I wasn't hearing and I didn't understand, and now I pick it up. And I'm not talking about hearing the, the bat channel between us and heaven, God's speaking private revelation, but suddenly I see truth, and I understand truth, and I love truth, and I'm changed by truth, and I hunger for truth, and I hear the truth, and I respond to the truth. It's a whole other channel, isn't it? If you are of the devil, you cannot even hear the words of God, and you do not do the words of God, and you do not love the Word of God. Pure and simple. If you belong to God, then you hear His Word and you obey it. It really is that simple. Unbelievers reject the truth. Why? Because it is the truth. 
and they cannot even hear God's word and they are unable to respond to God's word because they are dialed into the other station at the other end of the dial and they cannot even pick it up and they are unaware that there is even another frequency out there. And then suddenly when God turns on the light, we understand truth because we are God, of God. And the one who is of God hears God's word. Verse 47, he who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them because you are not of God. It is the nature of unbelieving men that keeps them from responding and hearing the truth. Because they are in iniquity, because they are slaves of sin, because they do not belong to God, they have no capacity in themselves to either hear or to respond to the word of truth when it is spoken or when it is proclaimed. Now what do we get from this passage? Let me give you a couple of applications. First of all, if you are going to be faithful to the truth, you ought to expect rejection. If you're going to be faithful to the truth, you ought to respect, expect rejection. You have a choice. You can either be popular in the eyes of the world or you can be faithful to the truth. But you can't be both. You can be popular in the eyes of the world or you can be faithful to the truth. It ought not to surprise you that people will reject you or hate you for giving them the truth. They did it to Jesus. And you're not going to be popular in the eyes of the world and have everybody love you if you're faithful to the truth. Because we live in a world populated with unbelievers who are allied with Satan against the truth. They hate the truth. They reject the truth. They can't understand it. They don't like it. They wish you would shut up when you speak it. And they will hate you and, and call you all kinds of names. You're nothing but a bigot. You're nothing but a racist. You're nothing but a homophobe. You're nothing but narrow-minded. You're intolerant. You're an unsophisticated, unscientific, unenlightened rube. They call you all kinds of names because you're faithful to the truth. You can either be faithful to the truth or you can be popular in the eyes of the world. And if you're going to be faithful to the truth, then expect rejection. Because unbelievers will not hear the word of truth because they cannot, because they belong to the devil. And as long as you and I are in this world, it is a world filled with iniquity and filled with devils, and we're going to be rejected. We're going to be rejected. The second application would be this. The sure test, the sure test of a child of God is how they respond to the truth. The sure test of whether somebody is a child of God or a child of the devil is how they respond to the truth. A child of God loves the truth. They hunger for it. They want to hear it. They want to hear it preached. They want to see it lived out. They want to see it modeled and exampled. They, they love the truth. They love to hear the truth. And when you present truth to them, they respond to it. They accept correction. They expect, ex, accept discipline. They ex, accept reproof and rebuke when it comes from the truth because they hunger for truth and they hunger for wisdom. And when you present truth to a believer, they say, that's what I want to be. I know I fall short of that. That's what I want. Let's strive together in the truth because we love the truth. We're going to embrace the truth. Let's walk in the truth. That's how a child of God responds. A child of the devil, on the other hand, says, I really don't care. I'm not really interested in the truth. I don't care for the truth. All you, the correction or acceptance, or the, the correction or reproof that you give me just bounces off of me. My heart is hard. I don't hear what you're saying. Just give mental acknowledgement to it. Yeah, it's all good. They don't embrace it. They don't love it. They don't joyfully obey it. The believer joyfully obeys it. The unbeliever resentfully or with, with indignation or with apathy tries to do their best to obey it. There is no surer mark of an unsanctified nature than an apathy or hostility to the truth of God's Word. No surer mark. It is impossible for you to be born again by the truth, to love the one who is the truth, to have embraced the truth, to be redeemed by the truth, to be a child of the one who is the truth, and yet to remain apathetic to the truth or to compromise the truth. It's impossible. It can't be so. The one who has been born again by the truth loves the truth. If you are of God, you hear and you respond with joyful obedience and submission to the truth. 
If you don't, you do not belong to God. Period. No middle ground. For this reason, you don't hear the truth. For this reason, you do not obey the truth because you do not belong to God. You say, Jim, those are those are some harsh lines in the sand that you're drawing. I'm not drawing them. You read the text with me, right? For this reason, you don't hear it because you don't belong to God. The one who belongs to God loves the truth and responds well to the truth. J.C. Ryle in his commentary on this passage says this, When we see people obstinately refusing to listen to counsel and to attend to the gospel, we are justified in regarding them as not God's children, not born again, without grace, and needing yet to be converted. To tell somebody that is the most loving thing you can do. To hide that truth from them is the most hateful and despicable act imaginable. It is loving to tell people, this is what marks a child of God. And you either are one or you are not one. Isn't this passage, John 8, intended to draw the lines in the sand for us? That's what John 8 is all about, right? Jesus revealing to them that they were not the believers that they professed to be, that they were not the believers that they thought themselves to be. And Jesus is revealing to them, look, there are true believers and there are false believers, and you need to make sure that you know which camp you're in, that you're not a false believer. And it is gracious of God to have given us that truth. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word which is clear and your word which calls us to examine ourselves. As we work our way through John chapter 8, we see again and again the marks that characterize true believers and those which characterize false believers. We pray, O God, that your word may have its place in our hearts, that there might be room for your word, that we would lovingly obey it and respond to it, and that we might embrace it and receive it just as you have wanted us to, as you desire us to. And in doing so, that we would give evidence of the fact that we have been changed, that our nature has been changed, and that we are born again. We pray for those who do reject the truth, that you... God, by your grace, would make their hearts aright and cause them to be born again. We have people even in our own families, loved ones, friends, relatives, neighbors, and co-workers who do not know the truth and they cannot hear it and understand it, and they hate it. And apart from a sovereign work of your grace in bringing them to faith in Christ, they will never embrace the truth or love it because they are of their father, the devil. So we pray that you would deliver those whom we love from darkness to light, that they may know you and give glory to you as the gracious, sovereign, and only redeemer of mankind. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.